Celebration is, as Nicole Taylor, author of today's book of discussion, says, a time to block out the extraneous noise of the workday world and feast on food and freedom. So let's get ready to span the past and the future as we talk about tradition, celebration, and food. Welcome to As We Eat, where we explore the intersection of food, family, history, and culture. We think there's something magical that happens when people get together and share food. Conversations seem to happen a little more naturally. We talk about our commonalities and our differences. We share stories, memories, and recipes. And we'll use food to take a journey that explores our human experience. Share some fun facts and some that aren't so fun. Talk about food history and how food connects and defines us. So if you've ever eaten, prepared, or shared food, then this podcast probably has something for you. Hi, Lay. Hey, Kim. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? I am good. It is absolutely gorgeous here. We're going to hit the 80s, which is pretty high for us here in Montana. Beautiful, beautiful weather. And you know, we have had several discussions about how early so many of the things are. The grasses are growing so much Mm. faster. The trees have blossomed so much quicker. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I feel like over here in the Pacific Northwest, we've gotten a slow start to summer, but is definitely arrived. Maybe that means that we just had, you know, the impossibly short spring. But well, you know, my cherry trees thinking about producing some fruit and our weather is getting nice. It got windows open. So it's always a nice time up here, as you remember. And, you know, summer is undoubtedly a great time for fun. We got cookouts and gatherings, barbecues with all the fixings. Our local farmer market just started up last weekend, and it is feeling like the right time to throw open our windows and to let in new air and celebrate the joy of a new season, right? Yeah. This is the third year that the United States will be celebrating Juneteenth as a federal holiday. And since our topic this month is food and celebration, I thought it appropriate to bring up Nicole Taylor's Watermelon and Redbirds, a cookbook for Juneteenth and Black Celebrations. I picked up a copy of this one last summer when we first talked about Juneteenth. And Mm -hmm. it's a book, along with Michael Twitty and others, that I'm digesting as part of my own curiosity about Black American culture and traditions. You know, I think we agree that food traditions give us a chance to connect with the past, whether we're chefs, members of a community, or just average participants. Celebrations like Juneteenth Let us pay homage to special cultural and historical roots. And so books like Watermelon and Redbirds encourage people to evolve within their own cultural sphere while remaining respectful to the pathway of origin. Hmm. To get started, here's a brief refresher on Juneteenth and why we celebrate it as a federal holiday. On January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which legally emancipated enslaved people in the secessionist states of the South. However, it took some time, as enforcement required Union troops to advance into Confederate territories to spread the news, as it were. And the state of Texas witnessed minimal presence of Union forces until June 19, 1865, when Union General Gordon Granger delivered General Order Number 3 near Galveston, Texas, officially proclaiming freedom for the enslaved population in Texas. Now, there's a little bit of side debate about this, because while the proclamation was what it was, 
it did take a constitutional amendment to really make sure that freedom was legally enforced and enforceable. So while this is the progenitor of Juneteenth, it's also not exactly the moment that freedom for enslaved people came to the United States. It took a little bit more than that. A year after General Granger came to Galveston, the date was started to be marked by Black Texans as a jubilee celebration with dance, music, and of course, with feasts. Annual Juneteenth Jubilee festivities sprouted across Texas, and as approximately 6 million individuals migrated from the agrarian south to the northeast, midwest, and west, Juneteenth celebrations and their culinary customs flourished in urban hubs like Harlem, Chicago, Cincinnati, and Detroit. Now, all of the United States, along with the District of Columbia, officially acknowledge the holiday in some capacity. Plus, the day is now recognized as a federal holiday as of June 2021. And this is our first new federal holiday since acknowledgement of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day in 1983. That doesn't necessarily mean everybody gets the day off, but it's, you know, it's at least starting this cultural recognition of this holiday across the country. And last time when we talked about this, there were a couple of states that hadn't yet signed any kind of proclamation or legislation mm-hmm. or anything. And that's now done. I believe all 50 states now have something acknowledging Juneteenth. So let's talk a little bit more about the author, Nicole Taylor, and the book. First off, this is a book written by Nicole Taylor, a James Beard-dominated food writer and food creative. And she has written broadly for publications such as New York Times Food, Wine Enthusiast, and Epicurious, and has developed recipes for food and wine in Eating Well magazines. In an oral history interview for Southern Foodways, Nicole shares that she started cooking at the age of nine, not because she had to, she says, but because she could, which I love that, right? Like, the dick is a good. In college, one of her roommates nicknamed her the Black Betty Crocker. After moving to the Bedford-Stuy neighborhood of Brooklyn, Nicole documented the black and brown members of the neighborhood's burgeoning DIY food community in a live call-in online radio program called Hot Grease, which was a highlight of the Heritage Radio Network's early programming schedule from September 2009 to August 2013. Her 2015 debut book, The Up South Cookbook, is meant to help home cooks from the South cook their Southern food in the North. So trying to find and source those ingredients and things it can be really tricky, right? Right. She's not a celebrity chef, but none of the people who contributed their recipes to the Women's Suffrage Cookbook are what we would call chef today. And really neither was Julia Child nor Dr. Bue Yang Chow. I just think it's important to mention that because in our vast celebrity culture, we sometimes mm-hmm. forget that food belongs to all of us, not just those with the strict training and the fancy hat. Chefs are a particular title, but food comes from all of us. Yeah, I love that you talked about this because we do feel like with our celebrity chef culture and our influencers that we have to follow these people in order to cook well. Right. And we don't. We all eat. We all cook. And what we cook is especially poignant to us. And I love that what Nicole has presented in this book is so much about that. Yeah, me too. I I think it's a really important part of getting conversation, getting word out, starting these conversations about the foods that we eat and why we eat them and when we eat them and how we eat them and how to make them and how to make them our own. 
you know, this is always part of this ongoing conversation you and I have, Leigh, about authenticity mm-hmm. and accuracy or, you know, authenticity versus accuracy even. And I really, I think we both were on the same page and that we'd like to move away from this conversation about authenticity. Is it authentic? Because food is never static. It's never a moment in time, never to be changed. Although we love and embrace tradition and we talk about food traditions a lot, obviously on the show, but there's some space in between. And for me, this book is kind of part of that. So in that vein, you know, what Nicole Taylor has done, indeed as other Black and African American chefs have done, is first to illustrate the cadence and the culture of Black celebrations. The sights and smells of tender, smoke-sticky rib bones, platters of heirloom tomatoes and roasted eggplant, the tang of red drink, to those of us who have not experienced such celebrations firsthand. And to me, this illustrates the community-building side of what cookbooks and cooking can do, right? Mm-hmm. This is the the ambassador, <laughs> if you will. And when it's written in such loving detail as Nicole has done, it makes it a little easier, especially if you have an active imagination, it makes it a little easier to kind of, oh, yeah, that's going to taste that dish with the turnip and it's going to have that particular earthy flavor. Like You start to understand how these things fit together. The second part of the effort is to inspire conversation about how a community centered around this concept of celebration and tradition might both move the food traditions and the conversation forward into the future. I want to quote Nicole from her foreword. Quote, Watermelon and Redbirds is the first cookbook celebrating Juneteenth. It is meant to be a bridge between those traditional dishes of African-American celebration and those flavors that I have come to know and appreciate as my culinary horizons have broadened. This book is not an attempt to capture the tastes and recipes of that 1866 Juneteenth celebration. This is a testament to where we are not. It is an attempt to synthesize all the places we've been, all the people we've come from, all the people we have become, and all the culinary ideas we have embraced. It is an attempt to fashion a Juneteenth celebration for the 21st century, end quote. I love that. I love the, it's a testament to where we are not. Yeah. We were there, but we're not there now. Yeah. And it just that marching forward and embracing where you are and who you've become. Yeah. And to me, this is why Juneteenth is an American holiday and not to detract from the very strong roots that it has in black culture and black history in the United States that I do not want to, quote, whitewash this in any way at all. But this is a moment where we are recognizing what we are not, where we are recognizing where our country has moved from collectively and a hope towards what we will be in the future. Undoing racism is not ever a one-time thing, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. It's constant work that needs to be done. It's a progression. It's a moving forward of ideas, of ideologies, of attitudes, opinions, and hopefully loving actions that Mm -hmm. account for each other's humanity. Again, I don't want to take away from the very real history of what has happened, but I love that we are also embracing that we are moving forward Mm -hmm. And that's really a big part of what understanding and appreciating Black American culture is really about. Mm -hmm. And books like this are part of that conversation. Yeah. In another interview with NPR, Nicole Taylor had this to say, quote, the other thing I want people to do is to cook from the cookbook, no matter who you are, 
Black Americans or non-Black Americans, and to sit down with family and friends and to use it as an opportunity to talk about Black American contributions to the U.S. What better way to do that than around food? I want for Black Americans to use the cookbook as inspiration to create food traditions around Juneteenth, end quote. And later in How to Use This Cookbook, which, you know, one of the first chapters in the whole thing, Nicole Taylor writes, quote, this isn't a tome dedicated to classic sweet potato pie, mac and cheese, and red velvet cake. Instead, you'll find riffs off ingredients found on the traditional Black American family table, end quote. And this is what feels like an invitation to me. As a reader, and especially I'm not a reader rooted in Black American tradition, but I want to better understand the whole American food experience, all of it, mm -hmm. not just my Technicolor California cuisine. And I feel like this book could serve as a gateway, not the gateway, but a gateway to understanding a lot more about American history and mm -hmm. including Black American traditions. And if there's a recipe that exemplifies it, it's Nicole Taylor's Devil's, I, Nicole Taylor's Devil's Food Ice Cake Box. That's not at all what it is. <laughs> It is it's an ice cake box, right? <laughs> it is Nicole Taylor's Devil's Food Ice Box Cake, a recipe that she has also described as one of her favorite recipes in the book. And I want to share this excerpt from her headnotes, which she's got great headnotes, by the way, with, with each recipe. And they all provide a little bit of context as well as describing the dish that you can create from the recipe. Yes. Well, what she says is, quote, when you think of red foods and black food traditions, red velvet cake might come to mind, but red food coloring was a luxury until the late 1930s, and cream cheese frosting was introduced to the masses in the 1940s. In fact, it was probably a fluffy dark brown cake made with chocolate or cocoa that showed up at black celebrations. I'm throwing it back to the original color with this dessert, end quote. This is the note that basically proves her thesis to me. Because sometimes what we think of as sacrosanct tradition that should never be revised, this is the way that we've always mm. done it, might actually be because someone down the line substituted one ingredient for another. You know, at some point, we need to ease up on holding the reins of tradition too tightly and really just make some space for joy, delight, and, you know, for celebration. Mm. Evolution is important and necessary, and it helps us honor the past while staying grounded in our reality, but it also helps us to anticipate the future. And our future is really global, if not intergalactic. I started thinking about all those crazy futuristic foods from the World's Fair in Dubai, mm. the levitating cakes and all that kind of crazy stuff. As a total aside, it just was a fun little rabbit hole to go down. And I also discovered in this book some interesting ways that Nicole incorporated ingredients and in foods from other cultures. There's a recipe for hibiscus Szechuan snow cones, where the traditional red drink made from hibiscus flower tea is enlivened by spicy Szechuan peppercorns, a fusion that is really completely modern and yet completely mm -hmm. sensible. Like I can taste it right now, just imagining it, you know, the kind of that tang of the hibiscus and just that little edge with the Szechuan peppercorn. That sounds like a really great change up on that. Yes. Because our food really is global. It's always changing. Mm -hmm. And despite her challenges to some of the more traditional manifestations of Black celebration, Nicole Taylor does leave us with a couple of suggestions, which I really loved reading. I think Julia Child and company would also approve of a lot of these sentiments. She says, quote, take stock of the connective tissue of traditions that fortify us. Talk to your family more about family reunions. 
ask your mama, who in the family made the best potato salad? Seize the day, find inspiration, and be a student. Get in the kitchen, cook. The end. End quote. So, Lay, you're not my mama, but I'm going to ask you, <laughs> who in your family makes the best potato salad? Me. Yeah? <laughs> Why is that? Because I don't make a potato salad with mayonnaise. I make a hot potato salad with Ooh. vinegar, and I like that. Oh, I love that. It's actually my favorite potato yeah. salad, too. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. My mom did make a good potato salad, Yeah, but hers was a little bit more traditional and a little bit sweeter even. Yeah. But I like the tang of the vinegar. Oh, yeah. I love. I think the only reason why I actually have celery seed in my cupboard is because mm. I would make German potato salad. My family didn't make it, but I started making it because I like it. And so that's kind of one of those funny things, too, about, you know, this idea of celebratory food and you're out and everyone potlucks and everyone's bringing something that they really like. That is how I encountered hot potato salad. And man, that stuff's delicious. <laughs> it really it is. is so good. So good. The first time I ever really noticed red velvet cake was the movie Still Magnolias. There's a great scene where an armadillo cake is served and you cut into it and it's bright red on the inside and it looks utterly horrible and disgusting and very shocking <laughs> and i never realized i guess i just never knew what red velvet cake was so i didn't have an association with it with juneteenth necessarily but as we yeah. discovered red is such an important vital color it's a color mm -hmm. celebration but it's also color and recognition of bloodshed and but it's also power it's a lot of things and so i completely get why that amplified red was so important to have at the food celebrations and it kind of became the de facto you know your red drink or strawberry lemonade you know like that was also one of the original variations of the red drink the red velvet cake your barbecue right tomato based red foods and so yeah yeah i love barbecue there's something so elemental about barbecue too yeah any other summer celebration memories for you Lots of picnics and barbecues at the lake. Yeah. Yeah. Now, your family used to do reunions, did you not? Yes. We did actually quite a few reunions. Always fun. Always celebrated with Scandinavian foods. Yeah. So we always got together and made lefse, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, lots of traditional types of things in our family reunion celebrations as well. Oh, that's wonderful. My yeah. my family kind of is so spread out in a, in many yeah. ways that I'm fascinated by reunions. I feel like a cultural anthropologist sometimes if I'm ever invited to one because it is this weird moment of just basic family interaction, the family mm -hmm. dramas, the old petty arguments, but like the new connections. My husband's family's quite large and they have a lot of they have a lot going on. They're not a they're not a big drama family, but they're more than I've experienced personally. So for me, it's always like, what is going on here? But yeah, I love it when they break out the food and everyone kind of jockeys for who does what best. Yeah. Or or all of the stories that are around the food. That's one of the things that is really prevalent on my dad's side of the family. There are always stories around the food. Do you remember when we used to go get the cream out of the stream so grandma oh. could make cream puffs or... Grandma always had these cookies because she never knew when 
when company would come. So she always had cookies on hand. These would always be served to company. And there's always some story around the food. Cranberries. Yeah. Yeah. Wild cranberries and so many of those stories that connect them back to their childhood. And my dad's side of the family, the cousins were very close. So there's always a story about going (laughs) to a cousin's house or the cousins playing together. Yeah. I love these summer celebration foods. Eating outside al fresco and, yes, you know, you get a little too hot. And so you get a drink or something cool like these snow cones I'm now kind of feeling a little obsessed about. Oh, Um, yes. Because she's got recipes. She said she always keeps some syrups in her fridge. She does a lot of um, simple syrups, infused things, marigold and sweet potato. And she's got a whole bunch of varieties in this cookbook. And so the options are almost endless. And if you've got a snow cone machine that will shave the ice for you, then super easy. That is one thing that I found really fascinating at the beginning of the book, because she gives you a list of tools that you're going to need. Yeah. And most of them are, yeah, I mean, you have most of these. Yeah. But there is one, a snow cone machine. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of remember having, I didn't have, I swear I didn't have one, but I remember them being a little bit like there was a Snoopy branded one. That was yes. really popular when we were kids, like the mid-80s, right? I remember going to a friend's house and we would do whatever we needed yep. to make snow cones. and But we never had syrup, so we were always like trying to do things like with orange <laughs> juice or... Juice. <laughs> kind of remember toothpaste, but I don't know why. I don't know if we tried to make a syrup out of toothpaste. Yeah, you know, things that I kids mean, do to play and learn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, going to Hawaii and having shave ice. Oh, yeah. Yep. That, yep. Was, that stuff was good. Yeah. Now, you know, speaking of Texas mm-hmm. and Juneteenth, when we were in Texas, we had the best snow cones oh, ever. Oh, you did? Ever. They were the best snow cones I've ever had in my entire life. Yum. I might have to go get a snow cone machine now. Yeah, I'm thinking. I don't know where it's going to live in the <laughs> tiny house, but right? I will make room. The only diet I'll ever be on is maybe I shouldn't have so many kitchen appliances. So I was trying to think, <laughs> should I really buy the thing that I might not use that much? No, I'm doing the snow cone because syrups are so fun. They're so easy to make. Right? And and why not? Yeah. All right. For a little more background on the foods and traditions of Juneteenth, I recommend As We Eat Episode 42, Red, Yellow, Green, the Multicolored Food Traditions of Juneteenth. And to discover a little bit more about Red Velvet Cake and its connection to Juneteenth, you can find a link in the show notes to Red by Beets, Wine or Dye, and As We Eat Journal article that is free to our subscribers. And if you want to join me in my crazy rabbit hole about futuristic foods, take a listen to episode 28, Fair Foods, Canned Goods, Corn Dogs, and Levitating Cakes. <laughs> Coming up for our next episode, Leigh, do you have a dish or two in mind from Watermelon and Redbirds? I do. There's actually two dishes, and I am super excited to share what I learned when I made these and also talk a little bit more about conversations and getting family together. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Looking forward to that. For more information about today's episode, check out our website at asweeat.com. Follow us on Instagram at As We Eat, and please join our family recipes, traditions, and food lore community on Facebook. 
And so you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you could spare a couple of minutes away from that red velvet cake, I know it's delicious, but <laughs> if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Spotify, we would be so appreciative. It certainly helps us to build the wonderful As We Eat community and family that we have been growing over the past couple of years. We also publish the As We Eat Journal on Substack, and we would be very honored if you would support us by becoming a subscriber for great content about our shows, deeper dives into ingredients or dishes, and interesting niblets from our great As We Eat community. Subscribe at asweeat.substack.com. You've been listening to the As We Eat podcast, part of our Curiosity Drone project serving up how food connects, defines, and inspires by blending a little bit of research, a dash of humor, and a whole lot of passion. Ba-ba-da-da-ba-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-